Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Our guests today are Lisa Neergard and Lizzie McWillie from BC Workshop, a Dallas-based nonprofit community design center that was one of our partners on community-driven growth, a roadmap for Dallas's equitable development. In October of 2018, Shrek Community Fund received a $400,000 investment from J.P. Morgan Chase's Partnerships for Raising Opportunities in Neighborhoods Initiative, also known as the Pro Neighborhoods Initiative, to design a pilot program for igniting equitable development in three Dallas geographical areas that are considered most vulnerable to rapid transition, the Forest District neighborhood in South Dallas, the Bottom neighborhood in East Oak Cliff, and West Dallas Census Tract 205. Throughout the last year, the Community Fund and Partners C-Suite Consulting, BC Workshop, the University of Texas at Dallas Institute for Urban Policy Research, and the Detroit-based Loveland Technologies, LLC, analyzed the three geographies, surveyed residents and community leaders on the economic needs and challenges they face, and compiled their research into a report that will be used for future equitable development plans. We'll link to the report in the show notes and on the TrekWire blog post for this episode over at recouncil.com. Lisa and Lizzie chat with us today about what equitable development is, how the community-driven growth research came together, and what it will take for equitable development to succeed in the Forest District, the Bottom, and West Dallas Census Tract 205. I'd like to quickly remind you to subscribe to TrekCast wherever you get your podcasts and to follow the Real Estate Council on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates from around the organization. If you've got an idea for an episode or series of episodes, please email me at bsanantonio at recouncil.com. Now, here's Lisa Neergard and Lizzie McWillie of BC Workshop right here on TrekCast. Lisa, Lizzie, thank you both so much for joining us today. I'd like to start very high level. The name of this process and the resulting report is Community Driven Growth. How did we select this title? What does it refer to? And what is the end goal? Like, why was this necessary for Dallas? So I guess I'll start. Um, So the name itself um, was chosen because we wanted to have bake in to the process this idea that um, the community was at the center and was driving the growth within their communities. So the reason why you know this is needed in Dallas, and it's you know it's it's a larger issue across the United States and probably actually you know in many developed countries, our communities did not develop equally. Um, discrimination, racism, uh, a host of kind of historical issues affect not only, you know, how affect how our communities are came to be, but they also are affecting how we move forward. So the underinvestment of a community um, is now kind of playing out um, in the form of gentrification today. Um, and so we wanted to recognize that this was happening in some of our communities and see if we could blaze a path or create a path forward where we could do development differently, um, where we could do development with these residents, um, recognizing their needs and their wants, um, and 
understand how we could develop hand in hand with them or how development could go forward hand in hand with them. And instead of replacing them, bring added value and benefit to them. And what was BC Workshop's role uh, throughout the community-driven growth process? So BC, um, BC or Building Community Workshop led the research and strategy development for the planning process. So this would include what you traditionally think of um, as research, including demographics, um, understanding the challenges of development in underinvested communities, and identifying and developing equitable development strategies to be used or deployed within each community. And then additionally to that, we see the engagement of residents and stakeholders and understanding their experiences um, with inequities in their communities as just as important as kind of that more academic piece. And so we bring in that research by designing and facilitating meeting activities creating surveys, um, and then hosting and developing working group discussions. And so much of the plan that was developed is derived from those conversations paired with or backed up by kind of more traditional research. Now, you mentioned equitable development, and I think that's an important term for our listeners to understand. In defining equitable development, the report outlines principles of equity, six principles of equity to help guide the research. But could you walk us through what equitable development is and how these principles of equity help frame the conversation about what we set out to accomplish with community-driven growth? Sure. So the project partners um, in community-driven growth selected or used the definition of equity developed by the Government Alliance on race and equity, which states equitable development works to ensure quality of life outcomes as equitably experienced by those currently living, working, and moving into a neighborhood. So for that, for us, that means affordable housing, quality education, living wages, employment, et cetera, um, and equitable public and private investments, programs, and policies in neighborhoods um, that will meet the needs of residents and reduce historical and current disparities. So while that defines what we think equity is, it doesn't fully define what equitable development means in each place. And so, Lizzie? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so with that understanding, we, we recognize that equitable development would look different in each of the communities that we were working with. And we thought it would be helpful to break down this idea of equitable development into different components to discuss how it differs from place to place. So what are all of the things that we need to consider to support a community in addressing past inequities and to ensure existing residents benefit from new growth and investment? So the categories that we broke this idea of equitable development down into are um, typical to the areas that you would see covered in a planning project. Um, so we thought about historical equity, um, kind of what are the, the things that have happened um, in the past uh, that have caused current conditions of inequity um, that need to be righted in order to move forward. Um, what are issues of environmental equity with regard to perhaps environmental injustice 
um, illegal dumping, pollution, et cetera, uh, physical equity. So really regarding the built environment, uh, houses, design, the fabric of neighborhoods, um, planning and policies. So the planning and the, the policies and plans that are in place in uh, geography um, that inform regulations, land use, um, kind of what kind of development um, can happen in a place. Uh, social equity, um, and uh, so with regard to gender, race, class, uh, what are disparities or um, kind of goals the community might have to that regard, um, and economic equity, so looking at jobs, wages, um, labor opportunities, et cetera. Uh, and at the beginning of the project, we asked all of the partners to come together um, and define what equity would look like in their communities in terms of these different categories, and then used this uh, session to develop the principles of equity for the project going forward. Who were some of these these project partners? How did they align with the neighborhoods that we worked with? So uh, there were three different geographies that we worked with, and I would say that only one of the geographies was what I would call a specifically a, a neighborhood that had already defined boundaries, and that was the bottom uh, neighborhood, which is located in North Oak Cliff, just south of the Trinity River and east of I-35. And the community partner there was Golden Seed CDC. Um, the second geography was the Forest District, which is an area in South Dallas where multiple community partners were already working together. And the boundary of that area was defined by the service areas of these three existing partners, um, which included City Square, Cornerstone Baptist Church, and St. Phillips. Um, and then the third geography uh, was a census tract in the super neighborhood of West Dallas, census tract 205, where our community partner was Builders of Hope. All of these community partners have been working in, this, in these geographies for a while and have a commitment to continuing to work there to help implement the plans that were developed um, throughout this process. Can you guys walk us through um, these neighborhoods, give us a, a picture of what they were like when when the the research started uh maybe some things like the, the median income the poverty rate uh what rents are the education quality and, and the kind of ethnic diversity that's there so there's a lot of overlap um or there's a lot of similarities in some of the different some of the demographics of the neighborhoods and we did neighborhood um snapshots uh for each geography in the plans um where you can see um you know, the housing value, the educational attainment, the age and race, um, you know, they, the three neighborhoods have distinctions, but then some overlaps in regards to certain characteristics. So in the bottom, the housing values, the median housing value for a house with a mortgage um, is roughly 78,000. So those are probably some of the newer houses in the neighborhood. And then houses without a mortgage that Median housing value is between seven seventy five hundred and seventy eight thousand. It is a predominantly African African American community, with forty eight percent of its population being um, black, and then thirty point six percent being some other race. There are three hundred and ninety eight households in the bottom, um, which would indicate actually a fairly high vacancy rate. Sorry, there are 398 people 
in the bottom, um, 125 households, which again would show a pr pretty high vacancy rate um, within the community. It has a 52% poverty rate, and that's in comparison to Dallas's poverty rate, which was which is 21.8%. The median income for the bottom is 24,320. Um, and the rent kind of the rent ranges from 448 to $483 a month. And the majority in in regards to education, the majority of the individuals living there have a high school diploma. Um, only 9% have bachelor's degrees. Um, and then then 26% have some high school education. Um, majority of the neighborhood is renters with which is at 56%. So for the fourth district, the median housing value is roughly $91,000. Um, and we've mapped out in the plan um, houses that are above that and then um, all the houses that are below that in the neighborhood. There are several kind of key property owners um, that we've mapped out, which include all the project partners and then also the city of Dallas. So there's quite a bit of land owned by those um, public partners. Uh, again, the forest district is predominantly African-American with 76.4%. And the next largest um, percentage is 11.9% white. It is 84% non-Hispanic. Um, the forest district skewed a little bit older than the other neighborhoods with a higher percentage in the 55 and plus category. 75% of the neighborhood residents or the area's residents are renters. Um, and only at 70, yeah, 75%. And then 24% of the neighborhood's own um, residents own their own home. The median income is $24,702. And that's in comparison again to the city's the income, which is 45215 The rent ranges from 540 to $608 a month, and the poverty rate is 26%, only slightly higher than the city's poverty rate, which is 21.8%. There are roughly 1,200 residents in the Forest District, um, equating to 429 households. Then in West Dallas, the median housing value is $131,800. And quite a bit of the key property owners, um, quite a bit of the area's land is owned by the Dallas Housing Authority with DISD and City of Dallas being the second largest um, landholders in the geography. In this area of West Dallas, 34% of the residents are Hispanic. Um, so that's the highest number or percentage of the three geographies that's Hispanic. And we have a combination of 57.9% of people identify as black and 22.2% identify as white. Um, it's a younger um, community. So some of the highest groups of people or number of, sorry, highest percentages of age range is in the zero to 19 group, um, which is um, significantly different than the other two communities, which skew slightly older. 
Again, this neighborhood also has a high rentership rate. So 79% of the residents are renters versus 20%, which are homeowners. The median income for this census tract is $16,000 versus the city's median income, which is $45,000. And the rent ranges between $266 and $342. Again, it's um, important to note that there's a significant concentration of Dallas Housing Authority um, housing in this community, which kind of aligns with that information. Uh, the poverty rate for this census tract is 55.9% um, versus the city of Dallas's poverty rate, which is 21.8%. There are roughly 5,452 people in this census tract, which equates to roughly or equates to 1,813 households. In planning this research, where did you start? What sort of metrics were important for the partners to measure and what did you gather from the information you collected? So we first started with understanding what city level planning had been done in each community. So wanting to understand how much planning had happened in each of these um, communities and then also how much of the, that planning went unimplemented. Um, this is a kind of a regular theme in Dallas communities. Um, and then next we began to review the existing literature on equitable development. So this isn't a completely new concept. Um, there's actually some really great tools and strategies that are already being deployed in different air communities to address the issues of equitable development. And so we began to kind of identify what would be most applicable um, to these geographies and to Dallas in general. Um, and then we began to, and then we took that information and we began sharing it with residents. And so they actually were the ones that began to select the tools and strategies that they thought would best address their community's challenges. And so once those strategies were identified, our partner, IUPR, began to identify what data would be helpful to track um, and measure, or track an effort to measure the success of each strategy. Um, so again, we don't think that one activity, one strategy, one program is going to address equitable development. Equitable development was, you know, these issues of inequity were created over generations through a whole host of actions. And so undoing them will also require time and a whole variety of um, programs, projects, investments that each seek to address different, you know, physical, social, historical, environmental um, implications of past inequity. So in addition to tracking the individual success of strategies, um, it's also really important for us to be tracking the demographics of the community as a way to monitor against displacement and the pushing out of existing residents as new residents are coming in. You know, within all of these geographies, the idea of new residents was not seen as, well, it was both seen as a positive and as a new opportunity, but was also seen as kind of the existential threat. So the thing that is going to bring each of these communities, the services and 
you know, kind of the community that they desire is also potentially the thing that is going to um, force them to leave. And so that's that's at the, at the heart of how we, of equitable development, it's wanting to turn this thing that could be um, a threat into an opportunity and making sure that opportunity doesn't turn back around and become a threat. Yeah, I think that's a really important point uh, to make here. Uh, so once the data was collected and, and you heard from the communities, what, what did we learn? What, what were your findings? Um, so we found that the challenges uh, generally fell under three categories. We kind of sorted through them and identified commonalities between the challenges and then organized them into these um, three buckets, uh, including housing, job and wealth creation, and community ownership and leadership development. And between the different geographies, there are both overlaps and differences in the challenges and needs that each community is facing. One of the significant takeaways from this planning process was that the investment in people and supporting the organizing efforts of existing residents was seen as just as important as the investment in new buildings and in housing. So the issue of ownership of a the issue of ownership of a community, and by that I don't necessarily mean owning a piece of property, but ha but instead having a say in the direction and the growth of a community is being placed at the same level as goods and services um, and all the other amenities that residents desire. Um, because often within disinvested communities is it has been the lack of control that has led to many of these issues. And so the desire for control in the future um, is seen as equally as important as the desire for new, you know, for quality housing and for quality public spaces and all the rest. We've talked about some of the shared challenges across the neighborhoods, but what about things unique to each of the neighborhoods? Were there any data points or, or feedback from the, the residents there that were unexpected or that may have surprised you in, in conducting the research? So I think for each neighborhood, definitely, there, while there are overlaps and significant overlaps, I think each neighborhood did have their own unique circumstances. So for instance, the issue of industrial uses and the concentration of public housing in West Dallas is creates unique challenges when it comes to developing new affordable housing or housing in general in that geography, and then also the development of commercial spaces and um, existing and future zoning. And so that's, that's a, a unique case to West Dallas in the bottom, the history of, of flooding and then city buyout um, and then and now kind of investment in the levees which is allowing for the neighborhood to redevelop um, creates you know its unique challenges related to you know a good number of the properties or the land is owned by the city um, and then existing residents that stayed um, you know have have another layer of challenges because they're going to experience um, such a significant amount of development um, in their community because of the amount of vacancy. 
um, which only puts them slightly more, puts them at more risk of kind of inflating of, value, of values and um, concerns of being able to stay. And then in the forest districts, you know, some of the key challenges there are around historical ownership, clear titles, um, and then just simply the age of existing residents. Um, their resiliency or their ability to kind of deal with changes in property values and home home cost and and those sorts of things. And so again, this is where um, you know because these challenges are not simple and they're not straightforward in solving them, this is again where the need for a community um, organizing and communication and collective decision making becomes really important because you can solve this these challenges in a variety of ways, um, but they're not gonna all have the same outcomes and they're definitely not gonna have um, the same community buy-in. Um, and as outside groups continue to work with these communities, it's important that um, there's a significant amount of buy-in and whatever strategy um, is chosen to move forward. After collecting all of this information, what kind of strategies were identified to achieve each community's equitable development plan? So while we were uh, having our community meetings and conducting surveys and learning about the challenges, needs, and opportunities in all of the geographies, we were also researching strategies that could be implemented to address what we were hearing. And these strategies um, were case studies looking at uh, maybe similar uh, contexts or um, similar challenges the communities had faced and kind of understanding what had been successful um, in different locations and what we thought might be a way to address what we were, were hearing people uh, say. So some of the strategies we found could be useful to address multiple challenges and most challenges will require multiple strategies. So um, there's not going to be any one approach necessarily that's going to solve everything completely. Um, and we saw that communities that may have the same challenges may require different strategies because it all depends on the context. So for instance, in both the bottom and the forest district, it was identified that residents are not set up to benefit from future housing development. So specifically under that housing bucket, um, the, but the, the strategies that were identified to address um, this challenge were different in each of the geographies. So for the bottom, the identified strategy to address uh, residents not being set up to benefit from future housing development was to focus on mixed income housing targeted toward prices um, that were affordable to existing residents and preserving currently affordable housing. Um, in the forest district, the two strategies identified to address communities benefiting from future investment in housing were forming a community land trust and establishing community investment funds. Um, other strategies that were suggested to address identified challenges, including leveraging data that's out there um, that might be able to help back up uh, a need for certain programs or um, to be able to illustrate um, things that people were feeling and, and kind of seeing um, to be able to uh, 
you know, have numbers behind, behind that, um, supporting workforce development, attracting small businesses, community organizing and leveraging community benefit agreements. And all of these strategies you could find um, kind of helping to address different challenges in different categories. So I think, you know, I think what's important for us, for us to state is that equitable development isn't just isn't development as as we've regularly done it. It's really combining the investment of traditional investment with programs and services to support existing residents so that they can take advantage of or benefit from that new new investment. So examples of that could be, you know, we're seeing community benefit agreements, you know, being used in West Dallas um, to ensure um, living wage jobs um, as new companies come in. Um, we are seeing groups, um, you know, in San Antonio leverage data um, in how they're kind of understanding how so how CDCs are shaping their development plans um, and really kind of tracking and monitoring um, neighborhood change through, through data um, and they're responding to it in regards to how, what what and how they're developing and how they're investing in land. Um, we're seeing um, neighborhoods create community investment funds. So this allows for existing residents to financially benefit from the investment that's taking place in their neighborhood instead of just, you know, being affected by it. You know, one that's becoming a, a strategy that's becoming really popular or that's being talked about quite a bit in Dallas right now is community land trust. So it's the idea that you functionally take land out of the housing equation um, as a tool for preserving affordability long-term. So, you know, if this is not just a neighborhood strategy, but this really could be like a citywide strategy um, for creating mixed income communities. Um, you know, particularly if we don't feel like we have a handle on how to preserve affordable, you know, how do you preserve housing affordability kind of in a market system? Well, taking out the value of land seems to be a, a viable way to do that. Um, and so we're, you know, we're looking at, Austin, which has a community land trust as a, a model for preserving a housing affordability or creating new permanently affordable housing. And then there's the issue of like environmental justice. So what are the tools that can be utilized and leveraged um, within any community and every community to deliver environmental justice and kind of right the wrongs of kind of past policies? Um, but again, so I mean, that's what, where the emphasis of equitable development is not just simply investing in underinvested communities, but it's looking at how that investment is paired with um, other tools, programs, strategies, um, so that those that are currently living in a community benefit um, from that investment. The full community-driven growth report is available on our website at recouncil.com. We'll link to it in the show notes for this episode and in its accompanying blog post on the TrekWire blog. Lisa, Lizzie, thank you both again so much for joining us today. Thank you.
That's all for today's episode. I'd like to thank today's guests, Lisa Neergard and Lizzie McWillie of BC Workshop, for talking with us about the community-driven growth process. Check out the report and be sure to subscribe to TrackCast on your preferred podcasting platform and follow Track on social media. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.